Good evening and welcome to the Dr. Zeus film podcast. Last night we talked about Escape from New York, the 40th anniversary. Now, I have talked about that 40 years ago. I was just, goodness, eight months old. So I didn't get to see Escape from New York in the theaters. There's a lot of movies I didn't get to see in theaters. I didn't even get to see Terminator 2 in theaters because of the violence, the language. Think about it. It was 1991. You could, if you were a minor, which I was, I was about maybe 10 or 11, you couldn't go and see a rated R movie by yourself. You had to be accompanied by an adult or someone who was 17. But I do remember the first time I saw Friday. And Friday, I was, goodness, I was probably about 14 the first time I saw Friday because it was on a hot box in the 90s. Yeah. The 90s were an interesting time to watch movies. It's hard to believe. You think of these movies that, from Clueless to Friday, twenty over 25 years old. These comedies, very off-wall and also independent films. I'm always about independent films. But I want to mention on the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast, um, the death of Robert Downey Sr. Yes, all of us know who Robert Downey Jr. is. But his father, Robert Downey, Robert Downey, was a very maverick filmmaker and did Putney Swope and did a movie called Pound. That was the first time that Robert Downey Jr. was ever on screen was a little kid and in his father's film. And he's playing a little puppy in a pound. And what does he say? Got any hair on your balls? That's what he says. That's what he says. So I want to I acknowledge that I... I don't know much about Robert Downey Sr. I think because we all know so much about Robert Downey Jr. But those who are within the film community and know much more about Robert Downey Sr. than I do, like Putney Swope and all these films that he, he, you know, that's a true independent. And I love independent filmmakers. And, you know, I thought we would just talk tonight rather than talk about a particular film. I was listening to Angelica Houston's I currently listening to Angelica Houston's audiobook Watch Me and it's fascinating because it's not so much the connections that she had and yes she talks about her life with Jack Nicholson and why it bothered her that he wasn't into her as much as she was into him but the real crux of Angelica Houston's story is her father John Houston and how when she wanted to get back into acting and she'd never been trained and she went to a class and didn't like it and then she got in contact with Peggy Fury and she trained her and you know the story of that is she went on to do Pritzi's Honor with her father won an Academy Award and then later helped him do his final film The Dead but in this audiobook she talks about Hollywood and at that time Hollywood was very different than it is now the kind of star that Jack Nicholson was. You know, on this podcast, we talk about films. We talk about personalities. For the remainder of my... I, remainder. From the time I was a kid to now, I knew who Jack Nicholson was. He wasn't just the Joker. I knew that he was in The Witches of Eastwick. I didn't watch... Let's see. Terms of Endearment came out in 1983, so I was probably about two 
So I didn't get I I didn't watch Terms of Endearment until I was 20. But what I'm trying to get across here is that someone like Jack Nicholson and then all these other actors have been around a long time. Recently I talked about Easy Rider and you know Jack was not the first choice. Rip Torn was the first choice. And having Jack Nicholson in the film boosted the film and earned him one of his 12 Oscar nominations. And so here on this film podcast, that's what I talk about. I talk about everything in between. And yes, the the film awards are really tricky. They are political. It is like a presidential race. There are landslides. I've talked about this before. That the night that Anthony Hopkins won, not this that not this recent one, but the night that he won for Silence of the Lambs, ninety-four percent of the actors branch voted for him. Okay, so and this is before the heavy campaigning of the nineties. Is that ninety-four percent of his fellow actors voted for Anthony Hopkins to win? For playing Hannibal Lecter. Hello, Clarice. And so, yeah, it it's it can get political, or it's who you know, Gwyneth Paltrow. You, if you notice, with that, she was never nominated again after that. And I and I bring her up because in Angelica Houston's Watch Me, Angelica Houston talks about a very young Gwyneth Paltrow pointing to Jack and saying he seems like a scary figure. And what's funny about that is he was the one who gave her her Oscar because, you know, usually the actors that won the previous year give you your Oscar and Jack gave Gwyneth Paltrow her Oscar. So I thought, oh, I wonder how he would feel now. He's obviously read Angelica Houston's book. And and these, those books are very interesting. I'm also listening to another book, reading listening i mean i plan to read sula by tony morrison rather than listen to it but some of these audiobooks are interesting i at first i felt like i was cheating on the book i was like oh my god i'm moonlighting with the audiobook when i really should be reading the book what's going on here and then my thing is if it's not read by the author then i get bummed out i'm currently also reading last chance texaco by ricky lee jones the muse and former love of Tom Waits. I've talked about Tom Waits before. Tom Waits, Ricky Lee Jones and Tom Waits, that is a marriage, they weren't even married, of eccentrics. There were oddballs and they were eccentrics. Now Tom, Tom Waits has been married to his wife Kathleen for about 40 years. But to listen to Ricky Lee Jones talk about Tom Waits and Tom Waits has been in a lot of films so yes this is a this is a film podcast and I talk about music but a lot of those musicians went into film Tom Waits has become this character actor and speaking of character actors when I was talking about Escape from New York last night it it didn't it didn't really um it wasn't lost on me that, yes, you had Harry Dean Stanton, who was a really great character actor who was in everything from Cool Hand Luke to Aliens, P- 
Harris, Texas, where he essentially is the lead. Pretty in pink. What else was he in? Harry Dean Stanton was in a lot of stuff. And so when I was talking about Escape from New York, I'm thinking of, okay, you had Harry Dean Stanton, you've got Kurt Russell, you've got Adrian Babeau, uh, you've got Lee, I forgot to mention Lee Van Cleef. Lee Van Cleef, who was in the Spaghetti Westerns. And then Ernest Borgnine. Okay. So you've got this interesting cast, cast of characters in this independent, low-budget film by John Carpenter. The legendary director of Halloween. And I'll give a shout out to Shit Happens When You Party Naked, Jason and Christina, Big Trouble in Little China, which I have yet to watch. Give me give me time. Right now I'm trying to finish up season four of Bosch, get into five, six, and then seven. I'm going to let it marinate and I'll finish it. But at the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast, I just sometimes like to talk about these films, about these characters. I want to give a shout out to Eddie Mueller of TCM's Noir Alley because I love film noir. And I got to talk to Jason Almy months ago about film noir. Jason Almy has a a bachelor's degree in, is it bachelor's or master's? Message me and correct me. In film. And so we got to talk about film noir and the semantics of it and everything. But back to Eddie Mueller of Turner Classic Movies. I love that they have that, that you can watch films like Gilda and you can watch To Have and To Have Not. He doesn't consider the big sleep of film noir. I do. So that's where we would kind of butt heads. All of these films, I mean, right now on Turner Classic Movies, I think they're doing silent Sundays, silent films. When I mention silent films... Now I sound like a professor when I say that. People roll their eyes. Oh, God, those are so old. Yeah. So? And I used to kind of think that way, too, as a kid. Oh, it's it's from this era. I can't listen to it. Not so much with movies, but with uh, with music. And then and then I kind of changed on that. But when it when it came to films... I mean, the silent films, you think of, okay, Charlie Chaplin, you think of Mary Pickford, shout out to my Canadian listeners, because Mary Pickford was a Canadian. A lot of the early founders of Hollywood were Canadians, like Mary Pickford, like Walter Houston, John Houston's father, uh, Marie Dressler, who was in Dinner at Eight. Marie Dressler was a really great comedian, and... um. And then, you, and then you've got the early founders of, of United Artists, Douglas Fairbanks and Charlie Chaplin and Mary Pickford. And, and so with the, with the silent films, I don't want people to roll their eyes. I want people to realize, hey, we have silent films. They're called music videos where they tell a story in a certain amount of time. And there's a simplicity to silent films, such as Nosferatu, or there's the there's the Joan of Arc uh, silent film, which is so beautifully photographed. That's the thing about silent films, is that it's about the expressions and the faces. You know where Carol Burnett, when she was playing that silent character in her show, and she says, in my day, we didn't need Joan. We had faces, which is true. And I've talked about that 
many times. I love that we live in an era where we can wa- I can watch Turner Classic Movies on my phone. I can I can stream it from the app. And then you have the East Coast feed and you've got the West Coast feed. That's always interesting right there. I know that Steven Spielberg had an issue with that watching films on a small screen, but I think he's he's uh, given in to the beast, shall we say. But back to the silent films. I remember I, I always thought Charlie Chaplin was the greatest. And then I watched Buster Keaton and I went, oh, and there, there, there's a, a humor and a, and, a, and a simplicity to Buster Keaton that Chaplin didn't have. They were both, you know, they were both directors. They both directed themselves. That, that's a, a tricky thing to do. To You're going to direct other people and then you're going to direct yourself. But what they did, I mean, look at Buster Keaton as a comedian. He was in vaudeville, just like Chaplin. His real name wasn't Buster. That was a a name that someone gave him when he was doing the family act with his parents. That's where where it all comes from, is vaudeville. And so here at the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast, I just encourage all of you to be open, to go further. I mean, the the first film came out in 1896. I think it was a short film in 1896 and that's where the american film institute went into their 100 years 100 movies in 1998 you had films from 1896 all the way to 1996 so fargo was the last one i don't i don't know if the english patient i hope it didn't make the list oh god that movie if you like the english patient do us all a favor and watch a better movie dr zhivago but I digress. But the the films in the 90s, that's when, you know, we were looking back at silent films and we were looking back at the classic film era. I've A lot of people may know this or don't know this, but there are two golden ages of film. There is the golden age of film, the beginning, the silent films and the screwball comedies. And then there's the second golden age of film. What happened was the studio system died and these rating systems started to come about. So you could play with nudity and language and situations. And so the golden age of second golden age of film really happened at the tail end of the 1960s into the 1970s because you had directors like Francis Ford Coppola, Martin Scorsese, Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, Brian De Palma. Oh my. Yes. Gordon Parks who directed Shaft. Got to remember that. Shaft damn right who is the man remember that whatever yeah i i gotta mention that it's a part of americana and film americana you had these really great directors just going out there and just getting it done and then you had someone like igmar bergman who was who was continuing i don't think igmar bergman really put any boundaries on his filmmaking because it was always provocative. It was always evocative. 
it was it was there and i and i talked about earlier how those silent films were so beautifully photographed like the joan of arc film i would say that about the seventh seal because the way the seventh seal opens it's so beautifully photographed but the essence of the film is about the plague and about the knight played by max von Sydow doing playing chess with death yeah and the imagery and the situations and the dialogue between the and it's in swedish that's the other thing is a lot of you would probably roll your eyes i'm encouraging you to go watch foreign films those are some of the best because film itself is truly universal all the way from nosferatu to apocalypse now to star wars to anti-mame i threw that in there the goonies the lord of the rings it's universal I love what Helen Mirren said something interesting once they were doing this documentary on the Academy Awards. And she says, I didn't think British people could win Oscars because back then in the thirties, it was known as a industry thing in the U S but British actors were winning Oscars. German actors, such as Louise Reiner, she was winning an Oscar or Emil Jennings, who was later disgraced because he was a member of the third Reich. Oh, that was a scary time. And a film that really captures that essence of that time is Cabaret, directed by Bob Fosse. I've talked about Cabaret before. It inspired makeup. I mean, Alice Cooper has talked about the look of Liza Minnelli in Cabaret inspired his makeup for the Alice Cooper band. Come on. But the subject matter, because it it was based on I Am A Camera, it goes all the way back to 1933 when the Third Reich was starting to come up. That's a scary time. And then if we jump over to someone like Marlena Dietrich, who is this really famous German actress, had become universally known and left Germany just as that was going down with her director, Joseph von Sternberg. And I'm going to talk about those films later on. I, I know that it had been mentioned that I've watched a few of them. I have to investigate a little more of it. But Marlena Dietrich truly was fearless because what she did is she told the Third Reich no. Back then you didn't say that. And usually if you did, you were, you were murdered. And she became an American citizen and fought for the USO and did a lot during World War II. And so she wasn't just this great beauty, this great icon on film. She was an activist during that time. And then on the other side of it, you have the filmmakers like Lene Riefenstahl, who did those films for Hitler, and then later backtracked what she did because she said she didn't know what was going on. So early film you have documentaries you have films you have propaganda films the 20th century basically is film that's what it is where the 21st century is a digital book so now all of these beautiful films that my grandmother loved and i love and my brothers and i grew up watching 
you can watch on Disney Plus. You can watch on Turner Classic Movies. You can watch on Netflix. Although you can't say that about the Devils, which I got to talk to George Strombolopoulos about, because that's only available on Shutter. It was worth it though. So there's a lot of those hard to find films that you can't purchase. One that I would recommend is The Dreamers, and I've talked about it before, directed by Bernardo Bettolucci, who did The Last Tango in Paris. The Dreamers took, it was a a 2003 film, there's an NC-17 version, and there's a rated R version. Yeah, it's not for the faint of heart, but it is a love letter to film as we talk about these films. And so... I'm going to find out what we're going to talk about tomorrow. As always, unpleasant dreams. And yes, Snake Plissken, that was fun. Good night.